are Locked On NBA, your daily NBA podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the Locked On NBA Podcast Friday edition, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mares, and I'm joined by my co-host today, filling in for Nick Angstad. He is out, I think, depressed still about the Mavs' first-round loss. He'll get over it by next week. But fortunately, I've got a man who has been steeped in depression since midway through the season as the Pacers have crumbled. It's Tony East. I'm here. I'm fresh off a of coach firing and ready to talk about actual basketball games of teams that employ a coach. Still, There you go. Yeah. Um, and actually some really good coaches left, actually. This has been a season. It's interesting, man. There's teams that have a lot of continuity. There's teams that, um, you know, remained healthy throughout the season or got healthy going into the playoffs. And there's some teams that are extremely well coached, including tonight. Um, we had two fascinating games, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Clippers, and Utah. We're going to talk about both of those. Then later on, we're going to power rank the best performers, individual performers in the playoffs so far. And I'm going to tell you right now, everybody, very controversial list. It's so controversial that as we were putting together the list, we couldn't even agree on like any of the, we couldn't even agree on which five guys could be in. We have, I have just so you know, five guys with eight, uh, honorable mentions. So this is going to be a very, very, uh, controversial list you'll look forward to that but first let's get into the first game of the night the east coast game the milwaukee bucks playing host to the brooklyn nets tony what stood out to you about this game uh the big turnaround for Giannis and middleton you know it's a stars game and you gotta have better performances from your stars those two guys 18 points for Giannis in game two i think 17 for middleton and then the first quarter the bucks scored 30 and those two guys had all 30 they combined for 15 each in that first quarter, they were both much better than they were in past games. And the Bucs uh, really were able to grind this one out uh, on the back of that first quarter. So it was huge for them to see their star step up in a meaningful way after their really lackluster game, too. And now I know that's not your first takeaway. That is a big takeaway. And I think that was the decisive takeaway. But the <laughs> I real... have a lot more nerdy notes. I don't want to hey, start with that. Well, I was going to say the first takeaway was that this was a disgusting basketball it game. It was. It was it, really disgusting. And what a shocker. I mean, Brooklyn, this was 83 points. So the game goes 86-83 to Milwaukee. It was very close. Despite that 30-11 first quarter, the game was actually, for the most part, extremely close. And that 83 points, it's the first time that uh, the lowest score, I believe, that the Nets had all season long. So that is a monumental defensive performance from the Milwaukee Bucks mixed in with a little bit of just cold shooting. But here's how you know this game was so disgusting. Five players were in double figures tonight. Five. Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, Giannis Antetokounmpo, uh, Chris Middleton, and then who was else? Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, who, who was the who was the last guy to get? Oh, Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown uh, had 16 points. Nobody else was in double figures tonight. This was a, a defensive battle. Yeah, the Nets only had four guys, or the excuse me, the Bucks only had four guys who had scored any points at halftime of this game. Like, <laughs> I, I couldn't believe it. Bobby Portis finally hit a basket, and finally someone other than their big three uh, had put in a basket. It was a very ugly game. Kevin Durant was the only guy who had a really dominant scoring night. And it, and it was really, really mostly at the end with him. I yeah, mean, I was going to say, and it was it was mostly down the stretch. Uh, he had a huge three that looked like it was going to be the one that turned the tide in the Nets' favor down the stretch of this one. So. Yeah, the ugliest game, especially the Nets, you know, all playoffs have been the team that's the whole team's 50-40-90, right? All the talks about how right. efficient their offense is, and they're just rolling over everybody. So for the for, for the Bucks to find a way to finally grind them down and slow them down to get a win was huge for them, even if their offense was atrocious. You know, Giannis 
chucking mm-hmm. eight threes in this game. He was settling quite a bit for those, which was very surprising. Uh, they had some some head scratching possessions certainly, but the defense they finally were able to slow down the net. So it was it was a very gross game, and yet one Milwaukee will certainly take. And it's funny you talk about the lack of scorers. The Nets bench actually won the bench battle tonight, seven to six. <laughs> it's not like wow. the guys didn't play. There were actually, you know, double double digits for everybody, you know, off of the bench tonight, which is crazy. But I want to go back to what you said about Giannis because I do think he is in the spotlight right now. I mean, obviously, some high profile difficulties over the last two years, and then this season gets off to that O two start. Granted, it was in Brooklyn, but those games were. You know, Brooklyn looked pretty dominant, and Giannis looks like he it, there is a bit of a mental block. And I'm with you tonight. I thought he, in particular, sort of willed the, willed his way to the victory and, and helped will the team to the victory. But you can tell that he is very uncomfortable with how teams defend him in the in in the postseason. I think Blake Griffin has done a surprisingly great job of, of really giving him space, but meeting him physically. You know, once he tries to get going downhill, and Giannis, I think. This was a good like breath of fresh air. He gets to t- take a deep breath, but he has a tough series ahead of him with how Brooklyn has been able to play off of him and force him to do things he doesn't like to do. Yeah, the Nets have been doing a good job all series of of really make like they know he's going to go to the basket, right? And yeah. those moves work, but with a, in the absence of a floater game, it's really easy to to kind of shoehorn him to the rim and stay in front of him. And Blake Griffin's done a great job of that. So in this game, I think Giannis was trying to pull them out and take some of those threes. And to his credit, like Flav Average just says if he takes those eight threes again, he'll probably hit more than one of them, but right. still not good shots in the flow of the game. Like if you watch the game, pretty much all of the eight threes were were gross and, and not the shot the Bucks would want. So yeah, he certainly doesn't look the most comfortable. And that, that's why I think Middleton was so big in this one, right? Someone else stepping up and taking some burden off of him so he doesn't have to just be forcing it down the pane and getting stuffed over and over again. Because once again, like last season with Eric Bledsoe, the Bucks are not getting enough uh, point guard scoring or distributing from Drew Holiday. Not that he hasn't been wonderful and he had the biggest moment of this game, but you know, Giannis is, right, has right. to rely on his teammates more when he's defended this way. And Middleton was huge for that. Let's talk about that final bucket because it came, you know, this game was so weird all around. So of course it was going to finish weird. Drew Holiday brings the ball up court. There's somewhere around 15 seconds or so left, I believe. And it looks like the Bucks are going to call a timeout. And I think everybody on the court, Kevin Durant in particular, who was sort of underneath the basket where you would be offering rim protection and help side defense, anticipating a timeout. Drew Holiday kind of comes to a walk, then a light jog, then all of a sudden drives to the basket, spins and gets a layup. Totally caught Brooklyn on their heels. And maybe that's an ending befitting of this game where nobody could score that you would score on something of like a hidden ball trick, basically, you know, the old hidden ball trick in baseball. It was almost like that. Um, but what did you make of how this game came to a close? Then on the other end, you get Brooklyn that's who what I was gonna inbound say. the ball and fumbles it away. Yeah, the Nets, the Nets inbound was the really head-scratching play. They were down one. They had a chance to get it in. And I think it, uh, Kyrie couldn't handle it or it was a bad inbounds pass. I can't remember exactly. It was what a bad bounce. The ball kind of like died. It looked like it was going to bounce higher than it did, and it just kind of rolled. Yeah. It skirts all the way across the court. And then Bruce Brown trying to be the hero. They had, they had more time than, than he gave them credit for. Just head down, drives to the rim. He couldn't finish. Net, Bucks get the rebound. And then the Bucks in a moment of panic. They couldn't figure out how to get the ball to. They got lucky that they weren't in the bonus to flip it to Giannis and get fouled. The Middleton hits two free throws. But yeah, that, that was a huge play from Drew. The only defender still trying, not thinking a timeout was coming, was ironically the guy guarding Drew. So he had to spin on Bruce Brown. Beautiful bucket. 
And yeah, then the, then the second Nets inbounds played two, three seconds to go. They get it to Kevin Durant and he comes around a screen only to be met by Giannis, Chris Middleton and PJ Tucker. Not exactly the best way to shoot the ball. And he did not make it. He almost made it though. Cause he you're did. right. That, like he wasn't even squared up. He was triple teamed. He looked like there was a little bit of legal contact, meaning he tried to jump into the bodies and he still almost made it. And I'm like, how did you get that close on that shot is, is absolutely insane. I do love the point about Bruce Brown though, because he had more time than I think he realized. And it was a total panic moment where yeah, the inbound play kind of gets broken up. So now you just have to like be calm and, and have some poise he picks it up and immediately like, I got to shoot it. I got to score drives to that left hand, throws up an absolute brick. And that was, you know, his curtains after that. So I want to ask you this though. So the bucks now one, you know, down one games to two, I, I see they're back in the series. When you're down Oh two, you have to get back into it with a win. I think they're now back into it, but here's some things that happened. They got off to a 30 and 11 start. You get 35 points from Middleton, who's one of the keys. Joe Harris shoots one of seven from the three-point line. And Kevin Durant has the first game where he shot under 40% from the field since 2018, and you squeak out a win. If you're Milwaukee, is it just that you get this the monkey off your back and now you got a win? Or do you look at this game and feel maybe not so great because so many things went your way for you to pull this out? You got to do a little bit of both, right? I mean, of, of course, they'll celebrate the win. And, you know, to your point, like, obviously, the Nets did not play well on offense. And Kevin Durant shot under 40%. Kyrie was one miss away from shooting under 40%. They shot terrible from three. But if you're the Bucks, you can kind of squint and do the same thing, right? We can go, yep. well, absolutely. you know, after the first quarter, we sucked, right? We were six of 31 from deep tonight. We shot under 20% from three. We're like a high-volume three-point shooting team. Right. Bryn Forbes was was a ghost. Right. He was huge for them in the first round. 12 of 19 from the free throw line, um, 10 turnovers. Right. They, they didn't play particularly well in their own right. So I, I, I think they will kind of toe the line and go in the middle and say, you know, we, we definitely played well and got a little lucky that we took some Nets guys out of their games and they were missing. But also, like, we can play better, especially on offense. I think any team scoring in the mid 80s will tell you that. So. A little bit of both. The monkeys off their back. They can re refocus on. You know, they're not down 3-0. It kind of reminds me of um, when they actually lost to the Raptors a few years ago. Remember that game three went to overtime in the conference finals. Like how big that right. felt for the Raptors. And I'm not saying the Bucks are going to win the next three, but it was just right. a huge win for <laughs> Toronto. So uh, a little bit of both. Thing, I would not. It's funny that you said that because I thought the exact same thing. When a team you know goes down 0-2. And we saw it this year already with the Clippers going down 0-2 and then overcoming the Mavs, including having to go on the road to, to kind of even that up. Uh, but I did think back to that Toronto series and how it was close at first and they gained a little bit of confidence. So maybe that's Milwaukee's plan the way, or you know their hope. I will say an inter interesting schedule quirk here. They do have three days off. They don't play again until Sunday afternoon. So an afternoon wow. game with plenty of rest, a little bit of a weird thing there. Maybe we'll see James Harden back by then. I wouldn't expect it, but it's possible. So wild that they have James Harden. <laughs> so Michelob Ultra, Adam, is coming at you okay. with their moments of the week. They've been getting it going on Twitter. You can tweet your moments of the week at Michelob Ultra. And I think we have to go with a game-winning bucket from a playoff game if we're going to pick this week's ultra moment. Drew Holiday, again, like, I, like Adam described, slowing into the walk, faking out the defense, blowing by Bruce Brown with a beautiful spin move, getting to the cup for a bucket. I'm sure... Drew Holiday, after laboring on those Pelicans teams for forever, really enjoyed getting a huge playoff win. And joy, happiness, and enjoyment are surely things that Drew Holiday was feeling tonight. It's only worth it if you enjoy it. And with only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, Michelob Ultra certainly is in, certainly you can enjoy one. Joy creates success. Enjoyment isn't the end game. It's the whole game. Try Michelob Ultra today. And don't forget to check out the Ultra Moments 
on Twitter. Use the hashtag Ultra Moment on Twitter to check them out. Back here on the Locked On NBA podcast, I'm joined by Tony East. We just broke down Milwaukee, Brooklyn. Now it's moved to the Western Conference over to uh, Salt Lake, where the Utah Jazz take a 2-0 lead over the Los Angeles Clippers. This one was another good one. It's, it's nice that we got two good games on, on one night. I feel like we haven't had that too much lately. We get 117-111 win over the Utah Jazz. The Jazz controlled for almost all of this game. The Clippers, they they caught up, almost took a lead like five, six, seven times, finally got a two-point lead, and that was it. Utah immediately retook the, the lead, showed great poise down the stretch, and, and pulled this one out. They were the more clutch team tonight. And I don't even know if you would say more clutch or more poised. They certainly seemed more comfortable with what they were trying to do. What stood out to you about this one, Tony? Yeah, that zone for the Clippers was about to be my notes in the story that it turned the game around. Yeah. But it, it, it's hard for me not to say the story of this one's Donovan Mitchell. I mean, he was fan fantastic wire to wire in this game 37 points uh brilliant scoring in the fourth quarter hit some monster threes the jazz hit some monstrous threes really the whole game he was just really sensational no matter who was guarding him right he, he burned Kawhi Leonard a few times burned Paul George a few times when those guys were out Marcus Morris a few times Mitchell was huge in their fourth quarter push to seal this game so right when it got away from them I mean it didn't even look like they like changed their game plan or lost any poise. The Jazz just pushed on through and got it done. So he was fantastic in this game and really impressed me with the way he was able to close this one out. Yeah, he was fantastic, and he has been fantastic for them. You wondered, you know, coming back from the injury, is he going to ease into it? Is it going to take a little bit of time? Has not been the case. He's been absolutely dominant. I have a feeling he's going to make an appearance in our third segment as we power rank top performers so far in the playoffs. He did cool off a little bit, and, and the thing that's interesting to me is that zone that you mentioned. Now, anytime a team goes zone in the playoffs, it's a little bit of a, you know, it works best or it tends to work best the first time you use it. And tonight it did work for the Clippers. It really changed the um, personality of this game. I do think Utah will have an opportunity, though, to get better with it. But Utah tonight, just 15 assists. They were 0-5 in the regular season. Wow. They only had five games, but they were 0-5 when they had 15 assists or less. So Utah, what's impressive to me about this game is they had to win different from what they're used to you know, in the regular season, but they still managed to do it. And as you mentioned, Donovan Mitchell just started out this game. I actually thought it was, it's going to sound, people are going to roll their eyes when they hear this. I actually thought it was a good, not great game from Donovan Mitchell. I thought it was a great first quarter. And then the rest of the way yeah. it was good. Um, but that first quarter was so great that it really helped carry him. I was finishing dinner and I came to the game and there's still over 10 minutes to go in the first quarter. And Mitchell has like eight points and it's 10 to two already. Right. He started so hot. <laughs> I, I missed it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I agree that 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 first quarter was huge for the Jazz, and of course, you know that that's kind of a theme today, right? Those these hot starts ended up carrying these the Jazz. You know, they, they end up barely scraping by and winning, and the the Bucks the same thing. That the really hot starts, even though the whole first quarter didn't go great for the Jazz, ended up being huge for those two teams. So uh, good, good on Mitchell for for that. But I liked your point about the assist. I mean, the Jazz pull up threes in this game were immaculate, including one Joe Ingles one in the fourth quarter. That, that was huge. I have it written down. One of the maybe the most important play of the game. I do too. I, I wrote, nobody picks up Ingles 10 point lead. It was not effectively the dagger, but it might as well have been a uh, seven point lead for the jazz. They've just extended the lead. Like Adam said, the, the Clippers got the lead. The jazz got it back. They're extending it. They get it up to seven and then Joe Ingles walks it up and the Clippers are pointing at everybody and trying to get matched <laughs> up and figure it out. And then Joe Ingles is just wide open with the ball on the wing. He can't even believe it. He takes his time, buries the three 
Clippers take a timeout there down 10. It was a huge shot that was kind of emblematic of this game for the Clippers where they were doing a lot and kept clawing back, but they just kept making some small little mistakes that added up over time. Yeah, that and Joe Ingles, one of the best like open three point shooters there is. I mean, he doesn't part of what makes him such an efficient shooter is he takes only shots he's supposed to take. And that was obviously when he's supposed to, you know, some some players in that moment might even hesitate when you're that open because it's like, hey, this is clutch time. This is winning time. Am I supposed to be taking walk up three pointers? But, you know, he was wide open and obviously he knocked it down. But it really brings me to what I think is the most important point about this series, but it actually, I think, has a broader sort of um, imprint on the overall playoffs. Utah, despite losing Donovan Mitchell late in the season, was one of the healthiest teams all year, and they have a lot of continuity from last year. Basically, the exact same team coming back. You know, you bring back Favors, who that's a new addition, but it's a new old addition. I mean, he knows all those guys from being there before. So you have a team with a lot of continuity. You have a team that played together all year, didn't do like a lot of load management throughout the year or this or that. And they look so connected and so poised together. And when this game got close and became winning time, you had great shot making from Kawhi Leonard and Paul George and Reggie Jackson all game. And then it was up to those guys making tough shots or not. Whereas with Utah, I thought everybody knew exactly what they were supposed to do and they generated the type of offense that they wanted. And it just, to me, was such a stark contrast between the two teams, between a team that knows exactly who they are and what they're supposed to be doing and a team that was relying on heroics. Yeah, Mike Conley didn't play in this game, but when I watched the Jazz, I think back, I think it was two seasons ago, right after he joined Utah, he talked about how learning Quinn Snyder's offense requires a PhD because it's very complicated and complex. But once you get it, right, the Jazz start off every season like five and three, five and four, a little slow, and then they hit a groove. It happens every season without fail. And that was what the question that con- that prompted this for Conley. You see this in a lot of games, and I always am reminded of that quote when this kind of game happens, where there's six minutes to go, and on one team, you have you know Kawhi Leonard trying to ISO and trying to set up his teammates that way, and then the Jazz run their little floppy into the screen, into this action, into a wide open shot, or a, oh, okay, well, just this guy's got a mismatch, he'll do a pull up now. Like it, it just flows so well and works so well. And down the stretch of this game, it was the difference. So credit to Mike Conley for giving me a good anecdote here, and credit to the Jazz for getting this one done. <laughs> and I don't even know if I want to say it was necessarily like the play types or this or that, because one team is a little bit more of an ISO-heavy team, whereas the another one's a pick and roll with a lot of kickouts and, and great ball movement off of those kickouts. But it really is just more of an understanding of where and who everybody on the team is. And tonight, it felt like in the fourth quarter, as great as Kawhi has been in this playoffs, the two fourth quarters, Utah has really loaded up on him and dared Marcus Morris and uh, Nick Batum and other guys to make shots on kickouts because they know that that's winning time. And, uh, you know, Kawhi Leonard's so capable of it. So they got the ball out of his hands. They forced him into some difficult ones. And and I thought it was a great game plan. I also have to give a little bit of a lot of credit to one of my least favorite players in all of the NBA, Maybe my single, nah, he's not my single least favorite, but he's one of my least favorite, Rudy Gobert, who did a fantastic job, really all playoffs, but he did a fantastic job in this game of making it difficult, as he always does, for teams to get dribble penetration. Because I think that the key for uh, the Clippers' offense is really to be able to get into the paint and then kick out and find, you know, Paul George and Kawhi finding each other, but creating that tension. And with Rudy Gobert back there, even though I thought Kawhi did a good job of breaking down the first line of defense, he still had to make passes out of that to the open guys and nobody rewarded him tonight. That's what I was going to talk about kind of in tandem. So seven thirty-seven to go. Kawhi dunks cuts the lead to two. He shot one more time the rest of the game. And it was that really awkward, like tip 
bit. Should have made it. He should have made it. He, he should have made even that. that when he rushed. Like the only reason even... he tried to tip shoot it is because he was afraid of Gobert coming back to block him. I agree. I was going to say, I don't think he realized how open he was. And then when he realized it, Gobert had already recovered, but he felt like yeah. he had to shoot and just, just mucked it up. But yeah, the, the game plan for, for Utah was really good there where Gobert was always waiting the second Kawhi broke down his defender. So he kept kicking it to Morris in the corners. I think Marcus Morris shot four or five wide open threes in the fourth quarter from the corners. And I don't think he made it. Or Batuma took a few yeah. of them as well. And they couldn't make any of them, right? That was a huge stretch where Kawhi was doing a nice job breaking it down and couldn't get it done. So on one hand, I want to see him personally be a little bit more hunting for his shot. You know, he's got that mid-ranger from the elbow, and I know Gobert's right there, but, you know, when nothing's working from your teammates, maybe take it. But on the other hand, the Clippers certainly failed him, and that's what the Jazz bet on when they make this right. game plan and they make yeah. Gobert take over, and they totally won that math battle tonight. It was a great, great plan. Absolutely. Um, at the end of the game, Donovan Mitchell did appear to tweak. Uh, you know, he took a kind of a tough hit spill with Paul George. I saw some people saying it was a dirty play, this or that. I didn't get enough – of a read, especially because the angle the camera had on it was really weird. Like we're watching it from the floor. So I couldn't really tell what happened of whether or not it was dirty, but it is one thing, you know, <laughs> this playoffs, the top two seeds in each conference right now have a lead and look like they're headed for their conference finals. And further from that, the teams that are being eliminated or have been eliminated are all teams that are missing players or have missed players for significant portions of the season. You know, Utah, Phoenix, they've run even, even Milwaukee, you know, they've run even actually the 76ers, they've all run hot in terms of having very few injuries. And now you look at this one with Donovan Mitchell and how great he's been. We'll be curious to find out just how healthy he is before they step on the court again, because that could, that alone could swing the series especially with Conley out, they'd be really devastated in their guard rotation if that's the case. And speaking of injuries, I was actually going to talk about this a little bit. It's a little too nitty gritty for this game, but Ivica Zubac started. He did not start game one. He starts again in this game and they're giving him a little more minutes, but the more they play him and cousins, the more I feel like I'm recognizing that the Clippers really miss Sergi Baca in this series, right? Sergi Baca is not some major game breaker, but while we were talking about injury, but he he kind of is, especially in this series. The Jazz love the drives. They love that the kick game. And I know tonight they didn't have that working as much, like you said, with the assists. But, they, yeah, without Ibaka, they don't have the same mobility. They don't have the same defensive IQ and acumen that they would have normally. So that's been a really big loss for them as well. Like, to your point, the injuries are just killer across the board. And, again, Donovan Mitchell and Ibaka are not equivalent players on the injury front. But I, that was in my notes I wanted to bring it up. And I think it was big in this game and in the series. Well, I do have to mention, like, I, I'm going to get all the Utah Jazz fans adding me. You know, the Conley injury is no small one either. And the fact, oh, that, huge Utah, one. Huge the one. fact that Utah has been able to overcome that in this series so far and to keep that 2-0 lead is a testament to their depth, to their sort of connectiveness and all that. And that's why I'm watching this playoffs. And I look at it and I go, okay, Philadelphia, this team has been together. I know they have a few new pieces, but they've been together so long. They know exactly where their points come from, where their defense comes from. They got so many great defenders. They're on a string. You look at the Phoenix Suns. My God, that team is in as a machine right now, perfectly in sync. And then the Utah Jazz. So you look at it, even in the Milwaukee Bucks, I know they're struggling in this one, but the connect, the connectedness of those uh, four teams I just mentioned is so clear and it's kind of neat to see. I know everybody wants the superstar narratives and the like, oh, superstar one-on-one -on -one battle, but basketball is a team sport. And this year, the teams, I think, are this – is, this is a year for teams to shine, whether the NBA fans and NBA media want it or not. Um, some great teams are, are, are performing well. It has been absolutely wonderful to watch. I agree with that. Some great defensive performances, some great offensive performances, leading to some of the best players in the NBA. And we're going to power rank the best playoff performers coming up. But first, let's talk about 
BetOnline.ag, Adam, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Baseball, NBA playoffs, NHL, NBA, MLB, UFC, and MMA action all in full swing at the same time. You can track all the action over at BetOnline.ag. Before that next pitch, before the next tip, head over to BetOnline on your laptop or mobile device. Check out all the great sporting news, sign-up bonuses, and contest info they have. Sixers Hawks on there for tomorrow night. Sixers favored by one in Atlanta. Nuggets Suns. Nuggets favored by one and a half in Denver. So some interesting ones if you want to get involved there. Don't sit on the sidelines anymore. Get in on the action. Head over to that website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device sign-up today. Receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. If you use the promo code LOCKEDON, all one word, when you sign up, betonline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. And we're talking about Bilt Bar because Bilt Bar is making the best tasting protein bars ever. They're 100% covered in chocolate, soft and easy to chew protein bars that are delicious. A lot of protein bars are either gross or too small or they come in some weird packaging, but Bilt Bar solves all those problems with basically a candy bar that is a protein bar. There's something for everyone. They have nine awesome flavors in their mixed package. They have some new flavors that come out all the time in limited times that are really good. My favorite is the peanut butter brownie, but all of the mixed flavors are really good. If you haven't tried all the flavors, you can get that mixed box. You'll get two of each of their nine flavors. They're all delicious. You got to try them out. Most of the flavors have 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, only four grams of sugar, and only four grams of net carbs. So carbs. So go to builtbar.com. Use the promo code LOCKED15, all one word, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5. You'll get 15% off your first order. That's promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. Final segment here on the Locked On NBA Podcast Friday edition. And as we always do, we're going to power rank something interesting to send you off into the weekend angry and mad because that's what power rankings do. They make everybody really upset. And we're going to be no different here because we're power ranking the best playoff performers in the NBA so far. And I got to say, there have been some really good ones. This is the year of, of offense, baby. A lot of incredible offensive individual performances. Almost, I might say, too many great offensive maybe the, <laughs> the rules need to change i'm getting numb to 50 point performances especially from guards triple doubles and 50 point performances like they're still awesome and you go wow you don't have that happen but yeah they're they're definitely i think the word that the the athletics have part now wrote a story about it it was heliocentrism uh is what he called yeah. it these guys have the ball a lot more when they're you know the single star style is really allowing them to have some of these crazy good games that said they still look amazing when they do it I don't think it's even the heliocentrism of the NBA at this moment. I actually think it's that, you know, 10 years ago, guys started shooting a lot of threes. And over the last 10 years, there has been an influx of players capable of shooting an insane volume of threes and an, and uh, an incredible revolution of current players who have altered their game to be able to do this, that it's like, wow, now everybody can make it. And when you add in the rules that make it so you can't even like breathe on a guy on the perimeter, I just think, <laughs> get it. And that's why I'm a little bit numb to it is I just see all these guys making eight, nine threes. And it just, almost, it feels a little less special, but nonetheless, they, it, I can't, you know, I can't like get hand- off of Adam's lawn, everybody get off of my lawn, everybody, <laughs> <laughs> but I can't handicap him for it. So I'm still have to give him credit, but here I've got nine uh, honorable mentions. I miscounted wow. I have nine honorable mentions. And I'm going to tell you here, Tony, the first four, the only reason they're on this list, although some of them, maybe, maybe all of them wouldn't have made the top five anyway, but they're all eliminated already. And that's Jason Tatum, John Morant, Luka Doncic, Damian Lillard. I just couldn't put them in the top five, man. See, Doncic is in my top five. <laughs> <laughs> so we're already uh, off the beaten path here, right? But 
Yeah, you know, I understand that being eliminated uh, ruins your case, especially in the case of both John Tatum, like you just said, they only won one game. And in John's case, it was against the non-Donovan Mitchell Jazz, right? So their teams didn't do that well. How much were those 50-point performances that you're numb to really help their teams get the wins? So, yeah, maybe those guys don't deserve to be in this top five, despite some excellent performance. That said, Luca pushing the Clippers basically by himself yeah. uh, to seven games, almost winning that series, 36 points. Uh, on per game on 49, 41, uh, we'll ignore the free throws, <laughs> 53 shooting <laughs> from the field, 10 assists, eight he rebounds. Was only 40% from the free throw line away from a 50, 40, 90. <laughs> so close. So the, the knock on him, of course, was, yeah, he had some fourth quarter shooting struggles. Exhaustion was cited a lot there. And he, you know, he his teammate, but his, yeah, his free throws were really rough, but he, you know, his teammates just didn't help him out enough. But I think he was in my top five. He was absolutely ridiculous that series and almost rolled the Mavs to, uh, an incredible series win. I mean, they, they looked awesome when he was clicking that series. 36 points per game or almost 36 points per game is absolutely absurd. The other guy, you know, Damian Lillard, we were talking a little bit off the air. Denver's gone up now against Chris Paul and Damian Lillard. And Lillard has some like spectacular sequences, including overtime and fourth quarters and this or that. But, you know, they did lose to an extremely shorthanded Denver team and they were down in every game that he went off. So I handicapped, I know everybody's going to call that a little bit, you know, going to think I'm being a hater here, but his points were a 10 out of 10 on the spectacular scale, but I think a little bit lower than what people think on the impact scale. Um, then the other guys, the other four I have still in it, but just didn't quite make the cut. Rudy Gobert, Trey uh, Young, Kawhi Leonard, and Chris Paul. Kawhi Leonard and Chris Paul, very close to moving up there. We got to see what happens the rest of the way. Kawhi, a no-brainer, was on that list, but I think these last two games against Utah have knocked him down a little bit. Chris Paul was nowhere near this list, but the last two games have, like, skyrocketed him up to an honorable mention status. Yeah. Uh, I also have Kawhi as an honorable mention as a result of these uh, last few games. He, he was fantastic, fantastic against the Mavs was able to outdo all the guy. We just talked about Luka Doncic and get it done. Although we talked about it in the last segment, right? Like the Clipper or excuse me, the, the jazz have found a way to take him out of his game a little bit, make him distribute, not be quite as, Kawhi Leonard, the MF down the stretch that that's winning games for his team. So he's an honorable mention for me as well. CP three. I is really close. I ended up putting him sixth. Uh, if he wasn't hurt, I think he probably would be there. Right. Cause he lost a lot of his impact. He could have in that first series yeah. hobbling around, but now that he's back to what, what is it? 90% healthy as, as Chris Haynes <laughs> has reported, he, he looks a lot better. And you, you know, you've been very intimate with that series. You know, he looks phenomenal for he looks 110% downstairs. healthy. If I'm being honest, <laughs> I don't know where this 90 is coming from. All right. Without further ado, the top five drum roll. Yes. I'm biased. I'm still going with Nikola Jokic. Number five, baby. Are you kidding me? Seventh in scoring averaging 30 and a half points per game on 52, 42, 91 shooting splits. That's absolutely absurd from the center. 11 rebounds, uh, four and a half assists. He's doing it all. This team is down. Their second best player in Jamal Murray. Their starting shooting guard, Will Barton, just came back, was on a minutes restriction, played six six games or, or 16 minutes last game for the first time, all, all playoffs. They're also missing their sec, their backup shooting guard in P.J. Dozier. This team is just – and then Michael Porter, you know, has really struggled so far in the playoffs outside of a couple pockets where he got really hot. So – beating uh portland the way that he did being the focal point of everything and then even in this phoenix games he hasn't been spectacular but in large part that's because the games have been over before the fourth they're just so outmatched but he individually continues to shoot well score well it just hasn't mattered as much what do you think of him at five i have him fifth as well let's go right in lockstep there (laughs) it's crazy like 
you can get really intricate on how you describe NBA defenses, but if I had to talk about the Suns defense in this Nugget series, it's just it's stop Jokic. Right? They, they don't care what anyone else does. Like even Michael Porter's being left wide open on half these possessions. They're doing everything they can to slow down Jokic, and they can't. He's still putting up monster numbers, being the only source of reliable offense for the Nuggets a lot of times in this in the series and in this playoffs. Willed them to a win, like you said, without Murray and other guards. Uh, against Portland so yeah he's been phenomenal he's my number five as well and you you called him the seventh leading score in the playoffs but after Kawhi's 21 pointer tonight he's up to sixth oh so let's Jokic go. flying up the rankings uh before our eyes <laughs> let's go baby all right number four this one has actually been a joy to watch other than in these last two games but Devin Booker I mean what a revelation you talk about a guy who hadn't been in the playoffs you always are curious how a guy's gonna look he has really altered his game because he's always been talented. He's always been a great scorer. He is such a smart and versatile and dynamic player. Now he's not just a scorer, although he's a phenomenal and smooth scorer, but he's a great playmaker. He sees the court. Well, he fits into his role perfectly. And right now his role is being a scorched earth scorer. Um, Right now he's getting 27 points per game, 50, 40, 90 as well. Uh, Six rebounds, I believe five assists. So he's, he's doing a little bit of everything for a team that at this very moment, looks like a real uh, like one of three or four true title contenders yeah remember all the the thoughts and pieces about playoff and experience not being good for Devin Booker it seems like he's uh blowing those preconceived notions out of the water he's been absolutely ridiculous in his first postseason like you said 27 points almost 50 40 90 point three percentage points away uh, Did I read it wrong? I thought he was 50, 40, 90. 49.7. 49.7. I mean, if, if you, if you said 50, 40, 90, I'll just shrug, whatever. Yeah. He's been phenomenal. I also have him in my top five. And I think the biggest thing for me that, that vaults him ahead, and obviously there were other injuries in the series, but with Chris Paul out, he controlled the yep. game for the Suns against the Lakers, right? They didn't look like they, I mean, you can tell they're missing Chris Paul, but they still had very reliable floor general skills from him while he was still scoring at a high level, especially in that closeout game. He was just absolutely ridiculous in the first half against the Lakers. So he was really good that series. He's been just as good against the Nuggets. He's in my top five as well. Number three for me, even though he missed one game, got hurt, wasn't necessarily his fault, missed a game, but when he has played, he's been absolutely dominant. And that's Joel Embiid, 29 points. 59% shooting, 43% from the three-point line, 86 from the foul line, eight rebounds a game, 2.7 assists. He's at 2.7, uh, oops, 1.2 uh, steals slash blocks. So impacting everything. Philadelphia hasn't, you know, they're being challenged for the first time here against the Hawks. And, and you know, we'll see how he continues to play. Atlanta presents unique challenges for him. But offensively, he's been absolutely dominant. I sometimes struggle with Embiid analysis because – He's uh, he's seventh for me. He's just out of my top five because it's the same thing every year where when he's in the game, the Sixers are just pummeling the other team, right? They've outscored in their seven playoff games. Uh, he's played yeah. in six. So sorry, in his six games, they've outscored the other team by over 16 points per game when he's in there. So just absolutely pummeling the other team to get smoked when he's out of the game. And yet, for some reason, it seems like they don't have quite the results that they should, but I can't blame that on him. They're absolutely dominating when he's in the game. He's been ridiculous. Like you said, the numbers speak for themselves. And again, he's a really good defensive player that changes the game. He's not quite on the Gobert level, but you know, the, the, the way he can make Trey pass every once in a while, even though Trey has an excellent floater game or make any of those other Atlanta guards go for a different play than they normally would is huge. Cause that's, kind of how Atlanta's offense is predicated. So, yeah, he's been really good this playoffs as well, and I have got him uh, in my top seven, but not quite my top five. 
Trey Young is the guy for me that, you know, this week he could vault up into that top five. He was in the top five for a while there. Uh, maybe I'm He's being harsh on him for, for game two, but he has yeah. a chance <laughs> to, to come up. Um, number two, a little controversial here. Donovan Mitchell. I've got him. I've got him number two, and he's been fantastic. I mean, the numbers are ridiculous. He's the third highest scorer, I believe, so far in the playoffs, 31.8 points, 47, 40, 90 splits. And really, he's just been spectacular. He kind of looks like bubble bubble Donovan Mitchell. He looks exactly like he did last year in the bubble where we thought everything was inflated. Um, He's my number two. Yeah, the the way he scores sometimes, where it's like the possession-saving shots – you know, like late clock, you just flip him the ball and he scores. Just absolutely huge for his team the way he's he's been unguardable. Like he's almost exposing Paul George to the point where in my head I'm thinking, like, is Paul George a worse defender now? Because Mitchell's just <laughs> cooking him constantly yeah. during these games. And maybe Paul George is a worse defender, but Mitchell's been playing that well where elite level defenders, he's just absolutely embarrassing them. He was excellent in the first round against the Grizzlies, controlling the game. Um, yeah, he's his scoring's just been absolutely brilliant. And I also have him number two for that reason. Uh, ridiculously good for the Jazz, and, and a reason they are, you know, looking like they might make the conference finals uh, after losing just, the first round this year. You know, I think early in his career he was speedy. You know, he was quick, like attacking. You know, fearless, all of those things. I think the thing that's really changed for him in the last season and a half, really going back to the playoffs last year, but especially so far in this year's playoffs, is his just control of the game. I mean, he really is. He was more of a scoring guard than like a point guard or shooting guard, whatever. But he's really turned into a guy that I still don't think he's, you know, like a true point guard by any means. But he makes reads, really, really high-level reads like a point guard. So he gets he gets that bump for me. Number one, I assume we have the same person. I do too. I hope so. Kevin Durant? Yes. Yes, it is Kevin Durant. 32 points per game, 52, 48. 90 splitting shits oh they're splitting shooting splits he's almost a 50 50 90 guy um and the craziest thing is most of those shots hyper contested yeah when you're seven feet tall and you can score from anywhere on the court it's kind of impossible to guard you like kevin durant leads the all-time nba rankings and shots that he makes it just make me when i'm watching i just like shrug you know i'm like what do you do even Giannis, who's like maybe the best perimeter defender in the nba in the top three for sure like has no answer sometimes even yeah. the you talked about it earlier. Kevin Durant had a look to tie it up at the end of this game with PJ Tucker, Middleton, and Giannis in his face, wasn't even facing the basket and still could see well enough the rim yeah. to get a pretty good look up and almost hit it. I mean, he's just on. I know he missed that shot, so it's dumb that I'm harping on that, but he's just unguardable when he's playing like this. He looks like the best player on planet Earth right now. Uh, completely ridiculous what he's doing for the Nets. And if he plays like this for the whole playoffs, I have trouble believing anyone can beat the Nets. But, you know, they did take him out of his game a little bit more in this one. So we'll see if they can maintain that. But he just missed a few of the normal ones. Hey, man, the first time he shot below 40% in three years in the playoffs. Yeah. So I have a feeling he will bounce back in game four. The Lockheed's <laughs> going to have to bring something for him. That does it for this week's edition of the Friday uh, Locked On NBA podcast. Don't forget to stick with us all week. Next week, we'll be bringing you updates on all the action, all of the great people covering it, different hosts every single night. For Tony East, I'm Adam Mates. See everybody. Have a great weekend.